Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Filmmaking Sucks podcast. Uh, this week, we have a very special uh, panel for you. This is another coming from the Macabre Fair Film Festival. This time, we have the Latino Filmmakers panel, which I hosted, uh, featuring Edwin Pagan of LatinHorror.com, writer, director uh, Christian Moran of uh, Let's Play Dead Girl, and uh, super horror fan and actress Inez Peak, who joined us for the conversation. Uh, this conversation was a lot of fun to have and very uh, enlightening. Check this out. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, we have one more panel from uh, Macabre Fair coming up soon uh, as a bonus episode. Uh, unfortunately, I did not host that one, but uh, I think you guys will really enjoy that. As always, make sure to subscribe to us, uh, follow us on uh, Facebook at uh, Filmmaking Sucks Podcast, um, and uh, subscribe to us, write us some reviews, tell us what you think, and uh, please enjoy this panel. All right, good, we're rolling. Gentlemen, introduce yourselves. Let me know uh, what do you do, who you are. Well, first of all, um, thanks for having us out. Um, Looks like a really fantastic festival. Um, it's been on actually, it's been on my radar for quite a while, but I haven't been able to sort of uh, come out and participate. I'm glad Christian got me out. Um, my name is Edwin Pagan. You can call me Eddie. It's friendlier, and I'm the uh, founder in chief of uh, LatinHorror.com, which started uh, actually as of this past October. Um, Ten years. Wow. Very cool. Ten oh, years. Ten years. Wow. Wow. Uh, my name is Christian Alexander Moran, and I'm a director, producer, editor. Uh, I've been working in the industry since 2003, and I do a lot of like behind-the-scenes work of, you know, anything that's on your Blu-rays and your horror films and stuff like that. All the extras and everything. Got to work with, you know, Joe Dante. Uh, Roger Corman and stuff like that, all my idols growing up, so, you know, that's, yeah, I got my own, you know, experience of, my own histor historical experiences from the actual people. Mm -hmm. Oh, a beautiful young lady here with us. Hello. Joining us for the day. <laughs> Thank you for Introduce inviting yourself. me. Yeah. My name is Inez Peak, and I'm a Latina, and I'm a lifelong horror fan. Very cool. That's kind of people. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's just start basic. What got you guys into filmmaking? Where did you start? I, um, well, I, you know, it, it, it was funny because I, um, growing up, my, my, my mother in the South Bronx, uh, single mother. I was born in the Lower East Side, but my mother moved up to the South Bronx probably when I was about a year old. And um, she, as I got older, we moved from one neighborhood to another and um, you know, it was far enough that it was, I couldn't really hang out with my friends that I, I sort of had initially uh, started hanging out with in the Bronx. And she realized, I guess, in, in maybe checking out the neighborhood or even maybe going shopping, that there was a boys club just about two blocks around the corner. And she enrolled me. And they had a dark room in the basement and started taking classes there, right, for a long time. And then what ended up happening by the, and that was at 10 years old when I sort of started learning photography. Uh, and this was, you know, real photography with film, developing uh, developing the film, making prints on, on in the larger. And when I was about 17, 18, the director of the Boys Club, Ralph Porter, at that time, 
uh, had sort of wanted to see me in his office. I thought I was in trouble for some reason. Maybe I did something wrong. And it really was to tell me that they had these vouchers for classes at School of Visual Arts. One was in producing and one was in cinematography. And um, so I went to the one the first night, and it was producing, and it was crunching numbers, and we were doing schedules. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, I'm, I'm not down with that. It just, you know, I'm not a math guy, and you know. Um, and I, I went back the next day. I said, I'm not sure. But he said, Well, go to, you know, no problem. If you're not into that, we can give that voucher to someone else that gets appreciated. And he said, But go tomorrow. They have the one in cinematography. That one fit like a glove because I was already, you know, doing. That. Photography, it was everything I was already doing, except that we were going to be loading, uh, you know, film instead of like still 35 yeah. millimeter. So after that, I started like working with folks in, in the community and other places, kind of doing um, little projects with film and stuff, just mostly not even shorts. It was mostly like documenting stuff and okay. just shooting stuff in the neighborhood and then getting the film back. But when I got older, um, I hooked up with a bunch of people that were part of an organization called NALIP, the National Association of Latino Independent Producers, who were just basically starting. Hi. Were just starting. And so through those cats, I was able then start getting on people's uh, people's films and, and, and shooting their films and things like that. And then, you know, it was only a matter of time before I wanted to do my own, my own, my own shorts and things. Um, but it was like... You know, in New York, one of the things that, that I always find interesting in New York versus, let's say, L.A., in New York, you will get people that want to throw down with you and, and do films. And when they say that, come the day off, they're all going to be there and you're going to do it. In L.A., if you do it, it's really a business town. Yeah. Everybody will tell you, they'll do your Money film. Money making there. But yeah. when it comes close to the thing, they're asking you, what's the rate? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's no rate, sorry. And, and that's understood. You yeah. know, they're there to make a living. But in New York, there is that thing where everybody's sharing and everybody wants to help out on films. The one so, time I was in L.A., mm-hmm. I, I got off the filmmakers who were there. They all said the same thing. A lot of them wanted to, because, especially because they do horror films, they yeah. wanted to come to New York exactly. because they heard about the horror film community. They've heard of us yeah. and how... How like you know inclusive yeah. we all yeah. in to help each other? Exactly. So like there's no community out there. Yeah. You know, even at the end of the film festivals, everybody gets their award. And they all go home. They don't sit. They they didn't sit there and mingle and mix with each, nothing. That's it. I'll go have a nice night. Yeah. And walk out. Exactly. It's like I've never seen this before. Exactly. And you know that that was sort of my introduction. But uh, I got into horror films when I was a kid. Uh, at the bo- uh, right after the, joining the boys club, my sister, who's much older than me, took me on a to see a film with, with the, the man that ultimately would become the father of her children, and it was to see Tales of the Crypt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt kind of love with what was going on and how I felt and the stuff that was intriguing me on screen. Later on, it was uh, The Exorcist, which is actually my old-time favorite. And I think ever since then, you know, those things came together. The fact that I was in film and, and, and loved horror mm-hmm. was going to actually make a perfect fit for me. You know, and that's sort of the introduction for me. Cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I grew up in a in a big, large family, so I was always the kid that would they would throw in the middle to dance, and I didn't want to dance, and I, you know, I, I hated music and stuff like that. But I had a a, a knack for writing, and uh, my very very first grade teacher, she put a pressure on me by telling me, "Hey, why don't you write a, a story, and I'll read it Friday." Uh, so I spent a week writing a story. It is. Uh, she got it, and she read it to the class, and it, I, it became my signature for a long time. Mm-hmm. The guy that writes sequels, I wrote Cujo too, <laughs> 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 and that, that, and then basically everything that I was writing was sequels. 
to everything. <laughs> and then um, later on, it, um, when I was like 12 or 13 and stuff like that, um, my family got a, a camera, you know, to, to go for travel. Right. And uh, I grabbed that camera and, you know, I was like, oh, what could I do with this? And I just started experimenting. It was a lot of feet. Yeah. A lot of feet. I guess because I, I would forget to turn off the, <laughs> <laughs> the recorder. So it was like you get like 30 minutes of feet yeah. and then somebody wishing a birthday party or something like that. So it, it, it started like that, um, just recording people. And then I, f I liked it so much that, I, you know, it was like, uh, I, I was a paper boy. So I saved up all my money and I went and bought me a I wanted a professional camera, but all I could get was a big body VHS RCA. Wow. <laughs> so it was me, Shoulder like this, pack. like this. Yeah. More than you. yeah. So I, you know, I would walk around, and you know, the the you know the legend that I have become, the kid, the Latino kid that was right uh, writing sequels. I made um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, <laughs> Mean Green back on the screen. <laughs> Uh, arachnophobia too which I shot with my grandfather it was like I need you to be my star <laughs> that is awesome so it, you know it, it, be, it, it just became one of those things that yeah, I was just playing around I never saw it as like a career thing until uh, high school when I actually joined a video department and, and in that video department um, she go um, it was, her name is Marky Hancock and she was from Chicago she was a Chicago filmmaker and she gave uh, each person to do uh, two options uh, a documentary or a dream sequence mm -hmm. like that. so I decided to do a dream sequence I didn't know what to do I didn't know what to do at the time I was like really experimenting with a VHS camcorder like I would grab my cousins and now I'm breaking away from the sequels like this, and I'm really going crazy. It was like, okay, let's make a horror movie. Like this, okay, and then I would grab my, like my my aunt's wigs and stuff like this, and just put it on them, and I'm tell my cousin who's like really like a, a very stiff Puerto Rican. <laughs> like this, like you like he would like uh, I would wrestle with him, and he hit you stiff because he had no flexibility or anything like this. So I told him I was like, this is perfect. Here, uh, wear this wig. Wear this cape. You're uh, a drag queen vampire, like this. And then, uh, since we, you know, at the time I didn't know how they recorded music onto the, you know, like, uh, you know, you do it in post. No, he had to do it. I would block him out and put Enigma. Remember Enigma? <laughs> put Enigma because for some reason I thought that was like some sort of no singing. So like this. So and then um, it came to the fact it was like okay. Uh, the teacher goes, well, do something personal. What do you think about yourself? And then it was like, uh, the next thing I, I did, I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. And this is me not knowing what uh, film was, like, you know, the shots and stuff like that. Uh, I shot something very complex like this. And it was basic something that uh, it was a running scene like this of me uh, running through the forest, falling through the tracks. And dying, mm -hmm. and then uh, you know, before uh, that last sight, I look up onto that track, and it's me. Like this, and it just became you know, my, I'm I'm my worst enemy type of thing. Yeah. But I shot it like if it was an action movie, like multiple mm -hmm. shots, angles, everything, and you know, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things that she says, you you know, you're a natural talent, because you don't know, you, you know, you know, nobody taught you how to do yeah. it. You just did it. And then from that day, you know, it was like, I want to become a filmmaker. And then uh, that's where the filmmaker and me left because uh, I had a teacher who wrote a, uh, who did a homework of a what if. 
and I wrote this uh, uh, 13 letters about African Americans and slavery. And uh, it got picked up by uh, the Gotham Playwrights, and I, um, which is a very, very hard school for a public school student to get into. So um, I got in. I stood there, and it just became a, a very powerful challenge because, you know, I'm not a very two-dimensional person, and like I think very cinematic. And my mentor was the writer from *M Butterfly*, mm. so yeah. it just wow. became uh, a struggle. It was like a struggle fighting with him every day because it was like, uh, just imagine he would tell you, "Huh, you have um, these two actors right here, and I'm with the square." Yeah, and what, maybe if we position this uh, chair in this way, we get that triangle uh, framing. <laughs> but that's how, and that's, that, that is right there, that struggle with him actually pushed me towards filmmaking. And I was mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm going to start doing sh shooting shorts. And that was like the, ex right there at that time was the explosion of the three-chip camera, um, Final Cut Pro, iMac. And it was affordable. You know, it was yeah. one of one of those things, and I became what they were calling at the time the basement kids, like that that the union people were calling because we were we were uh, um, uh, cheap cost, and um, you know, and we were very good. We because at the time I think Final Cut Pro, yeah. Final Cut Pro three came out with uh, yeah. sound color correction and stuff like that, yeah. and I knew it all. And that just that um, I also like uh, bootleg Avid. And one of the hard, one of the hardest things is like they would tell you is like, hey, you're not a real editor because you edit on Final Cut Pro, mm. like this. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> you're like this. So I went and learned that tool, and it just became another tool like that. And I learned all the software that were out there at the time. But that's how yeah, I basically maybe. got into the whole filmmaking. People thing. say that to me about Vegas. Yeah. yeah, you're not an editor. No, that's yeah. not editing. Yeah. Vegas isn't editing. You need Final Cut, yeah. or you yeah. need Premiere, yeah. or you need. I'm like, who cares, man? Just do it. Like, <laughs> yes, whatever, whatever works for you to yeah. get the job done. It's just it's a, a tool, tool. you know. Tool. So. Uh, cool. So we got some background on you guys. You know, we know where you came from. Let's get to the meat of this. Let's get to the meat of this. So, um, please, excuse my cards because I need to have everything, or I don't. I don't remember what it was I wanted to say. So, um, start. Let's start talking about film festivals. Let's start there. So, um, Macabre Fair, obviously run by Elsie, strong, proud Latina woman. Okay, definitely pushes the hell out of Latino filmmaking. Uh, this film, this festival we have uh, out of 80 films or so, I think it's 16 or 17, at least directed by a uh, Latino filmmaker, um, as well as uh, their international selection. So she really tries to get, make sure that's <laughs> a, big, a big part of her uh, yeah, and I've uh, program. Seen that, and I've seen that for years. Yes, yes. Uh, so talk to me about your experience in other film festivals mm -hmm. compared to that, uh, the diversity in their selections and the other filmmakers who do attend. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm, it's, I'm ironic in the sense that I've always had a bug about jumping through hoops for festivals. Mm -hmm. and I know that may, that does, may not make sense, but it's always been a, a thing. Actually, I put out a film this year, a couple of years ago that was written by Drew Daywall, who does all these little short films. He's, he was a writer, went on strike during the, the writer strike of about seven years ago, eight years ago. Him and friends started making uh, horror films. And he, 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 he does all these little shorts. And, and you know, I, I just like to get the work out to be seen 
But even that film, I put it out, I put it out directly through uh, YouTube, and I didn't want to go through the thing of film festivals. So the festivals that I've gone has been mostly when I work for someone else. Okay. Right. My films, I rarely submit them to festivals um, by uh, by purpose, and that may not make sense to the average person. But you know, so I, I sometimes on my on my bio I put. Uh, a non-award filming, yeah. a, a, you know, filmmaker, and that's by choice. Um, but it, it's a, it's the activist in me. It's a, you know, we won't get into that, but it's, it's a choice thing. But but when I've worked as a cinematographer or a producer for a lot of um, uh, filmmakers, of course they're they're going the traditional route, and a route that's it's 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 a viable route, right? You get recognition. You can also make very good contact. So I'm not I'm not knocking the process. It's just that it's yeah. been my own choice to do the work and not necessarily put it through the the meat grinder um but you know there was festivals even in new york and in, in my own hometown uh the new york international latino film festival was around for 11 years and that was a festival that i thought had a lot of promise it just recently came out it had shut down for about three years mm-hmm. hbo brought it back um and i think the first probably six to seven eight years that had a lot of promise because it was really about the filmmaker yeah as it grew it became more like industry and the the, the sort of um you know, the, 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 the flash of it, the VIP parties, the this, the that, and it wasn't about the filmmakers. But, there, you know, I tend to like film, uh, film festivals, smaller film festivals that still do, they put the emphasis on the, on, on the, on the filmmaker, like a mm-hmm. festival like this one, which clearly you, you go into a panel and, and, you know, there isn't that big distance between you and the talent. Yeah. You show a film and you got a mix of filmmakers and people that come in to see it. Um, you know, I've been to Sundance with a film that I, I worked with, a, another filmmaker. Um, and, and, you know, even though that's a giant film festival, it has a lot of prestige. You know, like the people that run it try to keep the emphasis again on filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So much so that they also have these these labs attached to it yeah. where they really, so you know, you get, you, get, you get picked up. And they really try not to make it a one a one off. Yeah. They really want to nurture your career. If you get on make their, on their right, yeah. they make you a filmmaker. So they'll bring you back. Uh, like a trade school. Like, exactly. Hey, gonna, we teach you this, and you're going to do this the rest of your life. Exactly. They'll yeah. bring you back, and at one and one point, you're there for your screenwriting prowess. Another time, you're just there for your narrative screen. Uh, I mean, you're, you're you're directing. That's a festival I like a lot. Toronto is another festival that. Despite its size, you know they sort of um, pay attention to the thing. But it's a fa- it's, it's it's a it's a you know it's it's a market. Yeah, it's a real it's, market. Yes. So it's it's insane. But the, but it's another festival that when you have small films that make it in, they sort of try to keep an eye on you and, and what are you doing now? What's going on? Can we make any connections to smaller film festivals? But that's not always the case. Yeah. Um, you know, there's. Um, since I've done docs, I've done you know New York docs with some of my my uh, my not my nonfiction work because I've mm-hmm. done quite a few uh, personal documentaries. So that's a festival that's good, um, you know. But can't really speak in in a, in a large sense to a lot of the festivals because I haven't really done yeah. the, the yeah. film festival circuit. But but I appreciate them when they still keep the focus on on the filmmaker versus you know all the industry parties yeah. and you know and the, and, the, and the network networking is fine but not when it's all about mm-hmm. the sponsors coming in and you 
you know, slapping yourself against somebody's brand in a step. Yeah, you know, that's that's not about the film. Yeah. That's about the brand. Yeah, on my side, uh, a film is like uh, um, doing the recently doing it um, actually myself because I, I've gone to festivals and stuff with um, documentaries and stuff like that. This time around, doing it with my um, my narrative uh, features. I mean, uh, shorts. And you know, one of the things uh, I noticed that uh, a lot of um, like the craftsmen, like the real craftsmen of uh, filmmakers, like a DP or something like that, they don't like uh, they didn't like the fact that I was doing festivals. So they think it's a, a, a pyramid scheme, like that. Uh, a Which lot can, of them. In it's some like, aspect, you can totally see it. Yeah, you can say I'm not gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, say it. they're yeah. they're, they're, they're it's like this. That's what so you, have. you see it, and it becomes more like uh, I feel like a lot of these festivals is really about circles. It's okay. not really about the quality of the movie yes. or anything yeah. like that. It's about breaking into those circles, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, going uh, going to like to say in my neck of woods, I don't want to mention festivals because it might be banned in my <laughs> own neighborhood. <laughs> no, but um, it's one of those things that you, you go there and. Uh, um, and you know they're uh, let's say in case of diversity, you know they they publicize themselves as diverse and stuff like that. And when you go to their galas and stuff like that and their award ceremony, there's not one you know black African American <laughs> filmmaker, Latino filmmaker in any of the nominations or anything like that. Because you know a lot of these films is not really like you can't really. Uh, go okay. Uh, a point system. This is how yeah. they're right. they're the best. Is really opinionated. Yeah. So you know, like it's like a, they put it like in a, a Rubik scale. Yeah. Like that. Some mm-hmm. I don't know. All festivals does the Rubik scale. I know some of them do, and then um, like that. So it's you know it's one of those things that you know, it's kind of like okay. Uh, this is my buddy from the neighborhood. Yeah, it's, it's really, <laughs> he's going in there. Down, yeah. come down to the diversity. Yeah, it's like, well, there's no, there's no Spanish filmmakers yeah. man nominated because they don't have any Spanish filmmaker yes. friends. Yes, this is their friends who are filmmakers. Yeah. They just have they're a bunch of white guys from yeah. the neighborhood. All their friends are white guys from the neighborhood, yeah. so they nominate all yeah. the white guys from the neighborhood. And then, then uh, regardless of how many other. And then you know, like situations like uh, like that. So I was like on a, another festival in, in in Jersey, and I was there with my composer, and. We go there, and it's a, a late showing, and we get there, and he sees the other, um, you know, the, like the host and the other fest, uh, the other films and stuff that was like this, and he just comes and whispers in my ear, this is a, a um, and uh, fool for us by us, like that, and I was like, ah, I was like, there's no, none of the things, you know, like you would think, hey, am I might. Been there with you. My, you know, you know. I've been with you. Yeah, like that. <laughs> like that. So. Been with you for those. Um, I'm, I'm a veteran of a few other horror film festivals in mm-hmm. in yeah. the northeast. Yeah. And um, I've found that yes, they do typify themselves sometimes as a diverse or all-inclusive and there will be international Mm -hmm. uh, entries Mm -hmm. things from Russia and things from Mexico and and I that's a a peeve of mine as well it's um, they feel like Mexico or Mexican films are going to represent all of Latino dumb Mm -hmm. because that's what they think Latino is right. and none of those films is ever going to win mm-hmm. and when I would bring it up to someone that would be in intimate 
with running the festival, the answer always came back, well, they got nominated. Mm -hmm. Like, that's enough. Yeah. That's yeah. it. We acknowledge your existence on the planet. Yeah. Go home now. You know? Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that, uh, um, uh, that up because it's one of those things that I also feel... Um, um, what's uh, you mentioned uh, prestigious Sundance? <laughs> I'm mocking them right now. If you don't yeah, say yeah, no it. Please. But, um, um, there's a um, uh, a gap like this. Like mm -hmm. uh, um, growing up here in the United States, I, I am you know like I, I was born in another country, but I am a U.S. citizen. You know, I went through the work, legal standards, and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> like this, but growing up, you know, like uh, um, you know, I'm an American child. Like this, but I always felt growing up here that I didn't have, as a filmmaker, didn't have the oppor this, the opportunity the same as the filmmakers um, below the border. Mm -hmm. Like this, and that there is a different perspective amongst the the Caucasians of what a Latino is. Like this, and it's you know like like you said, a Mexican movie or a, a movie from Chile, Argentina. Like this, they'll honor it like that, but they won't honor the Latino American, right, right, that, and you know, right now I know Sundance has, uh, uh, um, um, you know, I think they have eight Latinos there, but hey, out of those eight Latinos, majority are from the water, you know, and there's not a sufficient amount of programs to help us, and I and I bring it because uh, um, I just recently um, um, his his last name is Santino, and. Um, he made a movie about um, 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 transsexuals. It's called Mala Mala, um, Boricua. Mm -hmm. And you could probably pick it up. He put it on record. It's recorded. You can hear his voice and stuff like that. And he says, it's like this, you know, it's like, I made this movie like that. It has a voice like this. It's, I, I feel it's very good. It's one of my good materials. It goes to Tribeca. You can't freaking sell it at all. So, um... So it goes for my next movie, and he, he's a, you know, he directs with a partner. And he tells his partner, and he goes, tells his partner, you know, I bet you something. What? Uh, my next, uh, our next movie is going to be about a white person. And we're going to be selling it, I bet you. Like this. We're going to go into bigger festivals. Mm -hmm. So he makes Dina, which is, uh, an, you know, uh, a movie, a uh, white woman. And I think it's uh, what you call it, uh, on the spectrum. You know, she's on a, uh, some sort of spectrum. Mm -hmm. And what happened? He wins Sundance in the documentary field, the grand jury. Mm -hmm. and, and he goes, the very, wow. he's like, he, he goes to his partner, yeah, I told you so. I told you so. And then that's the things that, that uh, this generation, it was like, I think, I feel, um, you know, that I have to tell an American movie, a white movie, so that I can actually recognize as a director. And, and that's like kind of like the same, same sentiment that I've heard with um, younger Latinos that I uh, go to, you know, like uh, to school with or uh, teach or whatever. It's like, no, oh, I have to, you know. Well, just the other side, um, my, my comment about the uh, how film festivals think Mexicans are going to represent all of Latino them, and it, and it ties into what you just said. Um, when I go to these film festivals, the Mexican entries all have Lucha Libre, mm -hmm. which is wrestling, yes. Mexican wrestling, mm -hmm. or they're about La Llorona, yes. that, yeah. that legend, all right? And I wonder, 
are Mexicans also feeling marginalized that they can't get an entry into a film festival if it doesn't deal with one of those two subjects? It's like that's what because Americans that know. That is so weird. There yeah, have you know. to be other... We all have, in, in, in the few minutes we've been together, we all have our own stories. And, and you... Um, you know, my my background. I'm not a filmmaker mm-hmm. or a producer or anything, and I came here as I said. A, yeah. a, I'm a lifelong yeah, a horror fan, yeah. and and I'm finding out at this stage of my life, I'm I'm a frustrated actress as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, we don't have the same opportunities. Our parents and our families mm-hmm. can't say to us. Like they've said to a lot of non-minority actors and actress kids, and and you know, you our parents couldn't tell us to yeah go ahead we'll support you while you try to be an actress or you try to be a, a director or here's the money to go to New York uh, film school or anything like that. We're busy trying to help our you know. Mm-hmm. Go to go to work and and yeah. contribute to yeah. the house and try to make a life and it, it, it kind of resembles what like they say um, when Iratu won um, his Oscar like this, uh, being on Twitter and stuff like that and how uh, a lot of uh, Latino that are not Mexican responded negatively towards it. You know, it's like going, oh, Oscar, hashtag Oscar things, we're all Mexican, mm-hmm. hashtag things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, there were people actually made articles about it the next day about it, you know, like, me, uh, you know, um, and me too and all that stuff, writing. And, you know, a lot of people on those um, comments sections and also on the actual articles, um, they felt that, you know, they, they felt that he was privileged. Yeah, well, you know, you know what's they want you to be grateful. Yeah, yeah. They exactly. want you to be. Whenever a minority wins something, if they have any sort of real response, whatever their gut response is, you always get comments the next day on their statement how ungrateful they were when they've worked maybe two to ten times harder than a non-minority to get that prize. Well, you know, you know what's interesting? The um, uh, After I got into filmmaking in New York a lot, and I really wanted to get back, and, and, and I started a theater group for about 13 years because I couldn't get much work in the union as a cinematographer, which was I was working. So I started a theater group with, with a friend. We did that for 13 years. We got burnt out because I was doing sort of work with youth. Mm-hmm. I went back to filmmaking, joined the group that was just starting called the National Association of Latino Independent Producers had a chapter in, uh, in, in California, one in New York. And I went into that because a friend said, oh, you want to get back into film? This group is forming in New York. Um, and it was all these young filmmakers. And I said, OK, that will be a good way, one, to find out what the, the technology is now. Because the last time I had edited it was on three-quarter matic <laughs> big clunky tapes, assemble edit. If you messed up, you had to start all over Machine again. the size oh, of the table. God. Exactly. <laughs> so I said, I'm, I want to get back into the thing. But when I got really indoctrinated into that, I ultimately be, got on the board, was president after about seven years of the New York chapter. But, you know, we would have these discussions all the time because one of the things happens is, and you, you're quite right about that, if you go to South and Central America, Mexico, all you got to see any film coming from those countries, and including Spain, 
is that you, all you have to look, do is look at the credits, mm-hmm. right? And here you may get, all right, maybe the, the New York State Council on the Arts may give filmmaking, and it's a fellowship. It's like you yeah. get six GEs because you're, what you submitted is good enough that we think you merit a little something. Yeah. You know, this is for you. It's not really to make film. This is something for you as a as sort of like, okay, this is good work. But you look at the, those uh, Spain, Mexico, South and Central America, you look at the end credits, Mm-hmm. There's like probably 300 logos yeah. of the something economic this, the agriculture that they all support film. Yeah. So you even go and look at a film of the Guillermo del Toro. Right. He doesn't want to show these days. Stuart but Gordon too. Right. Does the same and thing. you see that even as a young man when he started out, one, he came from a pretty well-off family. And two, you see his credits, the logos on the back of the film. So they had support. Yeah. And this is not to knock anyone because no. if that's the support that's in those countries, it's not about to them, you know, ignore it or or, 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 or yeah. toss it away. But we don't have that support here. When I was on Nalip, I, we discovered the same thing in the documentary world, right? And it was, it was never as obvious as when Ken Burns started coming out with his documentary, like baseball, mm-hmm. with no Latinos in them. Uh, jazz with almost no African-Americans yeah. and no Latinos in them. And when they did the one on World War II, and it had no Latinos in it and no, no Native Americans, Nalib did a campaign against that, right? Mm-hmm. And we were like, but how does that happen? Yeah. Oh, we didn't have the information. Now, this is one of the most prestigious filmmakers coming out of the corporate public, you know, CPB, PBS spectrum, and... We finally had the, the, their feet to the fire, and they said, okay, what we're going to do before broadcast is we're going to hire someone to do some more interviews so they can be included, right? Mm-hmm. So they hired Hector Galan out of Austin, who's probably one of the few Latinos that has a lot of stuff coming through PBS. So he had some interviews. He had, uh, interviewed some, uh, some Chicano, uh, Mexican-American soldiers. They included it in the broadcast, mm-hmm. right? But then when we're saying, when the DVD comes out, the DVD didn't have those interviews. They said, oh, no, because that was too late. That was done too late for it to be included in things. Mm-hmm. So it made the couple of days of broadcast, but in the DVD that goes to university libraries. Which is libraries, even harder to get ready for broadcast right. than it is for DVD. Right. And more specs. And exactly. The, yeah, the quality so you it never see made is it ridiculous onto for, for The final historical hard material that went on. And... I think he's about to come out with another thing. I forget if it's Vietnam or or, or Korea. And what we did at that time when we found out that he was going to do that, all the universities, you know, on the West Coast and in New York, got as much material about that particular subject and sent it to him in a tractor trailer, like, to his, his office. Like, there ain't no fucking way you're not going to say that you didn't have the material to include Latinos yeah. in the next one. But, you know, you see it across the spectrum. You look at American Masters. Rarely any Latino. I think they've mm-hmm. done one on Tito Puente, and that's because mm-hmm. he's yeah. digestible by mainstream audiences. But right? he's gone around the world. Yeah, you know his name. No Celia Cruz, yeah. no this. And then you look at how many they've probably done. One hundred and fifty American masters, all legitimate people. Yeah. But I mean, they're so focused on this narrow spectrum that it's it doesn't really uh, show the American experience, mm-hmm. right? Because the American experience is not just Anglo. It's not just European. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's not just right. Yeah, they'll, they'll they'll do, uh, you know, even even people that never functioned in America, but who are revered here as an American master, but not not do what other people. Do. So it's it's an issue across the yeah. board, you know. So it's not even just in narrative and festivals. Yeah, no, yeah. And even in the in the and what you think 
is an even playing field, right? Because PBS is federally funded so that it's in the public interest. Yes. That's what PBS originally, yeah. Channel 13 and all that was, was mandated so that it would show the American experience, yeah. and it's still awarded with public funds. So what, what, what would, what's your opinion on why? Is it simply because these are the names that sell? Is there... Or is it back to what you were talking about filming, where they're, okay, there's a little circle and they do favors for their friends, or do they just feel like, no, this is the public perception we're going to shape, and that's all there is to it? This is, you know, there's that, you know, old, that old myth, you know, like uh, um, Latino black films don't sell. You know, they, okay. they're in that system, mm -hmm. in that systematic mindset. That you know they don't want you know there's well, that's talking I mean, millions makes, and millions of do dollars think, they do don't want to take a chance. As I mean, what do you think is fueling that specific mindset that they don't sell because they obviously do. That's mm -hmm. it's you yeah, say that they don't sell. Fact, it's bullshit. Right. Mm -hmm. That's total bullshit. Mm -hmm. What is it that fuels that mindset? Then? It's it's I think my take on it from what we we did through Nali right and the Chicano uh, studies uh, at, uh, in, in California. Uh, Tron Noriega did a whole study and actually a documentary that it after the fact has some of that information uh, called Latinos the Unreal which shows about you know how Latinos have been represented in media and film television and even news in a contemporary basis is that you also you know these pa these places are insular I mean it's a business mm -hmm. right because one of the things I used to say when I was on Nalip they would say oh well they got to give us a piece of the pie I said nobody's going to give you a piece yeah. of the pie for free right if we can show them that we can make money, mm -hmm. you know, it's not necessarily only going to be a black or white thing. You you show them you can make green, you're in. Yeah. Right? So, but then you go to these things and you try to pitch ideas and they don't understand it. Yeah. Right? And, and there are no substantial base of Latino executives at these places. So it's like anything else. I mean, have you ever gone to a place where you're part of the this, this squad? Mm -hmm. Let's take this film festival for us. And I'm not yeah. saying that it's part of that dilemma, but you'll find that it's a small group of people that make the decisions, yeah. right? That keep it going and keep things running. Now you take up to a, take that up to a level where you're, you know, you're talking about interest in the billions of dollars, they're not just going to give it away. Of course not. And so they're not. looking at the bottom line. And in their mind, the same reason that stereotypes and those kind of tropes still exist is because this, they're, they're removed from these communities. Mm -hmm. And so they keep repeating the same thing of what works for them. So they see America as primarily Anglo, right? They don't really know about our community. So when they even attempt to do those kind of movies, they fail epically because they're only putting in what they think sells. So, you know, of course, if there's a Latino, you got to be a maid, you got to be a, a, a thug, or, or you got to be, even when they put even, I mean, like, you, you got to be take, marginalized. In right, some even form when you take Latinas like who have gotten some sort of recognition in the industry, they always got to be the Latina who has, who's the single mother with the kid. Mm -hmm. Right or and you the, have to talk like this. Right or you're the love interest of the Sophia Anglo Madera. guy. Right, that is her voice, but she is the most popular. Right. like she does have that accent. Even her son yes. says this is her voice. Yeah, yeah. He, yes. you know, yeah. that's what she yes. sounds like. And sometimes she does embellish a bit, but it's yeah. exactly yeah. that. This is what's made her popular. It's a narrow. It's a narrow. It's a narrow sort of uh, mm -hmm. myopic view of what's possible out mm -hmm. there. Um, I think we're at a good place because I think, like, for instance, again, there's a really good resurgence in the African-American community with what's happening in television and film. Almost every other week there's a film coming out from the African-American yeah, community. But, that's, but the thing is that I feel that uh, 
that's the African Americans. Like us Latinos are invisible. Right now. Oh, like, we are Arabs, African uh, Af- African Americans yeah, are. They have like this are they they I mean, really, There's, there's like, literally riots going. Yeah, pushing, there's literally riots happening them. right now yeah, in, between because yeah. of the African American yeah. community and everything. So, so it's like everybody is going out of their yeah. way to make it. All right, let's include yeah. them now. Mm-hmm. But that's not happening. happening to us Latino. You know, like we're Latino. Us Latino. I think the numbers are like we're like uh, the, the, the uh, I think it was like twenty something. What's the I number have, there? I have it. Um, um, out of the Hispanic. Citizens, seventeen percent of the population. Eleven thousand films studied. Five point eight percent speaking roles were Hispanic or Latino. Mm-hmm. Of the top one hundred grossing films in twenty sixteen, they made up three point one percent of the roles. Right. Right. Now, audience attendance. You got the one for the audience attendance there? No, I didn't. Right. No. Audience attendance, right? Uh, compared to anybody, Latinos. Go to the movies. Uh-huh. We over-index. Yes. It's we're, the same way with oh, the... Oh, yeah. We're completely over With women in film, like too. So, yeah. Females are six, almost 60% yeah, yeah. of the movie-growing movie-going yeah. demographic, but female-fronted films don't sell. Yeah. Women, now, don't yeah. want, uh, women don't want I'll movies. I'll tell you, I had a conversation... It's, I had a conversation with uh, another producer. Like this. this is a Caucasian producer. And, uh, you know, he plainly, he plainly told me, he goes like this... Um, there, there is no need to sell it to the Latino because the Latino thinks he's white. Mm. Say that again, sir. That he's white, <laughs> white, Caucasian. Gotcha. There's no need. Well, that, that isn't. But that's I you think know that comes from the world. This the world that Trump comes yeah. from. Of the last 40, yeah. 50, 60 years, where I mean, look at Hollywood from the seven, 60s, even before that, mm-hmm. where. Latino Hispanic mm-hmm. actors changed their names in order yeah. to get jobs. Yeah, no, look yeah, at this: still happens, Martin yeah. Sheen, Charlie yeah. Sheen, Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Who has a career? Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And it's that's the most mm-hmm. obvious. And there's yeah. so many who've changed their names over time. People don't even yeah. know they have Hispanic heritage. They have mm-hmm. no idea. But I, I think in this case is like it, uh, it was almost shameful. There, is what I'm saying. There is right. no. You know? uh, um, there's no need to market to them. Mm-hmm. Like that, even though we're the biggest market, you yeah. know, right now we purchase, you know, towards this uh, this country, and uh, and then towards the film industry, and then you know it had me thinking, you know, I was not gonna completely knock out his thing. It's like, you know, you gotta look uh, um, uh, um, the downfall of um, Univision, mm-hmm. like this. Uh, um, there was a certain point um, in, in, um, about five years ago. A certain point where Univision just started dropping in ratings, like this. So uh, they ordered, um, um, they built, they reinforced their studios in Miami, and they did focus groups, and all the all the Latinos from the watching the novelas, they wanted to see themselves as Americans. They wanted to have the cell phone. They saw this as a guy. So um, the next thing you know, there he has these novelas. Uh, in urban cities, New York, uh, uh, um, Miami, LA, mm-hmm. like this, it's it's one of those things that uh, they say the immigrant population never well really watches the novela. Uh, um, wanted to see themselves that way. Now you have a first and second and a third generation mm-hmm. that is not relating to the you know yeah. those those, but, those Latinos and those like this. And you got to st- ask yourself uh, what are they relating? And then you got to see the growth in the suburbs. You know we're like forty yeah. percent in suburbs now. You I know, do agree with what you're saying. You know? I do agree with so what you're saying. See, but do they see that, you know, the, 
the the American dream, the picket fences, the, the that that you know, like to me, like everybody asks me is like this is running joke uh, with the, uh, Latina between me and my my fiance is like oh, oh if you get like uh, you know you, you highlight your hair the gold of those highlights like this and you move to Long Island you're white <laughs> you got the you sold out so it's like one of those things uh, that you know I have hope because it became like a trend I think in the late 90s like this and then. Um, it's it just like one of those things that right now, and uh, I think about a lot. I was like, is it because, you know, like, um, you know, we don't want to be portrayed anymore as like, mm -hmm. this is not, you know, yeah. we want to be American, well, like, well, take off the to Latin To speak American, to that just a little American. bit, though, I do agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, if you watch American soap operas, too, yeah. as soon as they got on the technology revolution, yeah. they dropped off as well. They still there. But uh, was it Young and the Restless? Yeah. The oldest one. Started out as a radio yeah. drama. My wife used to work for them. And since she interned under Young and the Restless. Yeah. And I think they had 70 years or so. And it went from the number one soap opera. Yeah. And then they started doing more of the, the handheld reality style with yeah. it. And they started bringing the cell phones in and all this yeah. stuff. Now it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. This is the oldest damn soap opera out mm -hmm. there. As soon as it hit, the millennial generation fell off. Mm -hmm. So while I agree with what you're mm -hmm. saying, I do think that it's making it modern is mm -hmm. also what is a big part of what killed yeah. it because that's yeah. happening yeah. across yeah. regardless of, yeah, it's of the culture that's doing it. Modernization of a soap opera is kind of killing them yeah. because... Our generations don't watch soap operas. Yeah. You guys, you guys watch the, the TV novellas because your parents watched them. Yeah. But once you had your own TV, fuck this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. this. You know what I mean? You got over yeah. it. You know. And I was the same way. I grew up. My grandmother watched Young and the Restless in General yeah. Hospital every day, and I sat there and I watched it with her. As soon as I had my own TV in the bedroom, I got I got monsters and Freddy's nightmares. I had all that stuff. You know. So I think that's also part of a generational yeah. thing as right. well. No, I think it's a generational. Yeah. So it's like. It's it's like uh, um, even with my movie, it was like one of those things. Is like yes, uh, yeah. uh, uh, um, give them a uh, give them a row, mm -hmm. you know, two Latinas, give them a row, and try to you know like watch them be them. Yeah, watch them be kids. these are the kids. Yeah, their generation. Mm -hmm. And it was like this, and then I was like, oh, let me just throw in one word of Spanish. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. which is well. Um, it's coming back. You met. You mentioned Tito Puente. And Tito Puente, my dad was an entertainer, and Tito Puente used to come to our house, and we used to have all sorts of uh, musicians in our house. And I remember that there were gigs that Tito Puente would play, and the only Latin people in the place were him and the band. Mm -hmm. And they would do Latinized versions of American songs yeah. to make the Latino thing. Everyone thought it was so exotic, you know? And that kind of thing, if you're the subject of, and, and no one wants to talk about it, we all know that there were clubs and places yeah. where black people were yeah. never going to be allowed and no one talks about that happening to Hispanics, mm -hmm. but it did, and it still does. Still I live does. on Long Island, mm -hmm. and my neighbors ignore me. I've lived there for over 10 years. You could be the spooky lady, too. So no, no, I, a little bit. They ignore me, too, in my neighborhood. Bit. i got a spider in my front window. They ignore me, as well. But um, <laughs> when you have, when this kind of, pushing away your culture and wanting to be seen as mm -hmm. white 
happens in black culture as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, yeah, and it is, yeah. so Latinos, you've got generations. You see your father being harassed by police or, or you know, and being thrown out of places where he's trying to get a job to, to feed his family. So you're going to grow up and you're going to start going, maybe I should... I went through a blonde hair phase, okay, <laughs> and, and that now. kind I'm of red, thing. <laughs> and so I understand that kind of thing, but, and, and this might be the bright side to all the uh, weird racial adversity thing that's going on, is that you may have to look at your culture and say, no, this is who I am, and be more be more Hispanic, that sounds so weird, but film uh, companies, they make black movies for the black audience. Mm -hmm. They don't make black movies that white people are going to go see. Mm -hmm. And they don't see where they can make a, a, black, uh, cross, a Hispanic cross, yeah. movie yeah, but that's, that's cool. the, the, you know it's good for for Latinos. Yeah. White movies are good enough, and yeah. and so why should they give the from a business point yeah. of view? Because yeah. that's what they're looking at. They're looking that's at the money. Why should they exactly. invest in an unknown quantity? Mm -hmm. To them, you're an unknown quantity. But, but, and, no, no, no. I, wait, 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 I get to, one. The thing is, what you're saying, like this, like this. That, that's the point that um, this producer was making, is like, um, since they're the largest and they just keep going and watching mm -hmm. like that, there's no need to market to yeah. them. Right. So why give them a Latino any, movie? Yeah, yeah, we already have their money, so why do more? It, you know, why do yeah. more? Which is, I'm, so, I'm, that was what I would say. We're a captured audience mm -hmm. already. You know, I think a friend of mine who was um, a Moctezuma Spalsa, who, who was the producer of Gods in general, said, you know, he used to say, we're a self-seducing audience. Because we we go see every every African American movie that comes out, we want to go see it, right? Particularly on on the coast, because I think uh, blacks and Hispanics, particularly in New York, grew up together, mm -hmm. so we can relate to that. But when I was growing up, right, I would listen to the rap, I would listen to R and B, I would listen to the, like a little bit of the jazz, right? But I would ha I hated it when I heard the pots and pan music come out, which was like. <laughs> Like salsa, right? The but cheese, I mean, I love it now. The, yeah, right. that stuff. I, I love yeah. it now. It's all on my yeah. phone, and that's all I listen to. But when I was a kid, it was like, oh man, it might as well have been that Vita Ro commercial where everybody same, went I'm, around I'm, with I'm, the I'm, I'm also the same way because mm. of the way my father raised me. He, my father, had a very a big rift between his. Uh, he was raised. He, him and his, he, him and his one brother. They had an Italian father and a Puerto Rican mother. And then their father died, and father mother remarried, married a Puerto Rican man. So the rest of their ten siblings, hundred percent Puerto Rican. Right. You know. So there was a little bit of a separation between them, and he had that rift. And when I was when I was young, that rift was obvious in my life. Where right. Puerto Ricans are dirty, they're nasty, they're horrible because right. that's how, that was him talking about his family. Right. Right. So I never and and my mother's Italian, and so I. I was never taught Spanish when I was young. He didn't want us speaking Spanish. Right. He was he was ashamed. Right. He was because you know, and that's and that was the that, that, this, that's why I say this is the culture I knew growing up. I have a father who is ashamed of being Spanish. So when, when my mother wanted us, she's like, "They're but they're Spanish. Let them learn Spanish." No, it's a dirty language. Cockroaches speak that. 
Wow. And that's what he did. And now, now in his life, very close with his family, and he wants me to be part of the. And I'm like, I just spent the last 25 years of my life with this impression you put on me. Right. And that's, I think, very reflective of how Latinos and Hispanics felt this way in the country before the 21st century. Right. That it was just and something to be ashamed of, and yeah. you hid it and you, you put it back. So. I want to get into what you guys do before. I, you know, you. It's like, I actually, I noticed that a lot uh, because I grew up with the, uh, the Boricuas. I noticed that a lot with the Boricuas. I didn't notice as much with the, uh, the, the Central Americans or the, the South Americans. It was one of those things like I, I grew up in, a, uh, in Richmond, Oakland, and at that time there was a tons of Boricuas there. And uh, going to the public schools, like uh, I would get babysit by one uh, uh, into a Puerto Rican family, and they didn't, they didn't want their kids to speak to me in Spanish, mm-hmm. like that. And um, but when I would go to let's say uh, somebody from Central America or other, it it was you know it was loud. They took it with a different type of pride, unless you met with a Boricua that's from the island. Different, yeah. which is completely different. Mm-hmm. Like that. It, it sounds like weird. it sounds like he uh, like Tarzan. Tarzan was uh, <laughs> raised by a wild pack of apes, yeah. and you were raised by a wild pack of boricuas. <laughs> oh no! I'll tell you. Uh, I, I, I always tell this story: is uh, I went back to um, Ecuador. Uh, it was my very first time going back, and it was at age of thirteen. And I've never met uh, Tia Lili. Her name was. I, she was like a legend. Like this, all the stories from South America was about this Tia Lili. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got off the airplane, got to her house and stuff like this. And I I went to her, we hugged, we kissed. It was a great moment. Was, but I told her, voy uh, atrás. She slapped me. Mm-hmm. She slapped the crap out of me. And why is because I, I was speaking the Puerto Rican dialect. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. You had the accent. Yeah. Mm. She like that. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. It was a double. The accent and the, and the, the word. Mm. Voy a regresar? No. I said, mm-hmm. voy a. Well, so let's, let's move into it, you guys. Let's move into something that things okay. you guys do before we uh, end this. Um, you've latinhorror.com. Mm-hmm. You started the Proxies of Fear. Oh yes, You're, you know. Yes. How how is it that you use these to create that diversity to give that space to these Latino and Hispanic filmmakers so that they have a place for their voice and their films? Yeah, well, the, you know, it's uh, it's been a little bit inactive the last couple of years because of hip surgery. I just yeah. one of the reasons I'm able you know, to get now is that personal life gets yeah. in the way sometimes. But, <laughs> but the, gen- the genesis of Latin horror was that um, it's only ten years ago. I'm 54, so that's in my 40s when I started it. What ended up happening was that I had just come off shooting on a feature film as a DP, as a cinematographer. And you know the deal. You work on a long project, 20 days, whatever. And all of a sudden, you're not doing anything. And that creative energy and that need to be part of something, you, it's a sugar. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you crash. And I was, like, bummed out. And I said, you know, i got to find something to do between these these projects. And I kept trying to think of what, what to do. And one day, I'm thinking, all right, I'm, I'm Hispanic, I'm a filmmaker, and I'm Latino. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh shit, Latin horror. Yeah. But to me, I was like, that's not going to be available. Like, like, have I heard of it? But uh, I went, is it a website yet? No. Is it a group? No. 
are any films being dubbed at? No, there was only one little uh, thing that I found actually by accident in one of the, the DVD places on 14th Street by like 6th Avenue. And it was a, a, an anthology of Mexican films that the guy at the store mm -hmm. put a label on top that they printed out with the price that said... Kim's video was this? Yes. Mm -hmm. They put Latin horror. It was because instead of saying Mexican horror, they figured Latino because yeah. we're Latino here. So I said, oh shit, that's it. So I, I hooked up the website in terms of getting the name right away. And then a friend helped me after I put up the page, a friend of mine said, well, are you going to register people? I said, register people? He said, well, let me, he's, a, he's a programmer. So he said, let me just do the registration page. I think I, I left it after I put up the information page up, probably three and a half months before I went back because I was busy with other things. I got on another project. When I came back, I said, how do I check this? Uh, you know, How do I get the information? He says, oh, I emailed you the password and link when we first I went back. There, uh, 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 3,000 people had registered in three and a half three months. months. Wow. Right? And it wasn't just Latino. It was Latino. Yeah. All, you know, from all backgrounds. Because, you know, we know. something. Right. Because I was saying it was like, I think my, my little promo at the time was, uh, join La Revolución, the revolution. And it was like, you know, you've, you've, you've heard about Latin, you've heard about rock and Espanol. Mm -hmm. Now it's, now it's Latin horror. And it was a time where even then, when rock and Espanol came, was like becoming popular yeah. in the U.S., people were like, "What the hell is that?" Even yeah. though the name said what it is, rock yeah. and but people couldn't imagine Latinos rocking it out, you know. And it was mostly the Mexicans that were doing it and stuff. But it caught now. Rock yeah. and Espanol is not a foreign thing. And I went through a little brief period there where people were like, "Latin horror," but the people that were in horror got it because they're like, "Oh, horror!" J horror had been coming out, all yeah. this stuff. So they, Italian horror. And I'm like, wow, I may have something here, right? So then at that point, I started like doing articles and things of that nature and pushing the idea that Latinos had their own distinct idiosyncratic nature of, of our own work because we have a long trajectory of literature in, 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 in Latin America that goes back hundreds of years that is has distinct fingerprints on it, right? Mm -hmm. The way we tell, you know, because our religion, our upbringing, there are things, and then, you know what I, you know, those things have come up, uh, but it's not just that, it goes in, you know, South Central America, Puerto Rico, and all this stuff, and so I started trying to formulate what that was, because it ain't, you can't just create a genre and leave it at that, it has to have boundaries and why you call it that and what it is, and one of the things that came about at one point was an article uh, Guillermo del Toro was quoted about that time and he said, he was trying to break down the distinction and he said the difference between American horror and Latin horror is that American horror tries to destroy the physical mm -hmm. you know, like slasher films yeah. and all that stuff and Latin horror destroys the mind and the soul so it's more still about what the suspense is what really hits you on a, on a, on a primal level mm -hmm. And now American horror wasn't always that way, right? You go 40s and 50s, it was very much that too, very much suspense and all that stuff. But William it, Castle. Right, and all that stuff changed. It's going back a little bit now, but... Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's it, you know? So what started happening was I started uh, getting films in from people to screen or to review. And over a period of time, in a couple of years, I was actually getting DVDs back of people that made films and who had now categorized it as Latin, Latin horror, <laughs> right? Um, and that, I was like, wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it, you know, one of my earliest experiences, I was still on MySpace before Facebook. 
that's where I actually launched yeah. uh, Latin Horror from in terms of social media. There was this guy from Chile, a filmmaker, reached out to me there. You know, he's like, oh, I'm out here in Chile. I love horror films. I'm doing this stuff, but I'm getting no support. And I'm kind of down. I said, look, keep stick with it. Keep stick with it. You're going to find people eventually that are, that are like-minded. And he said, don't think about it, you being alone in Chile doing horror. Think about you're the fucking George Romero of Chile. Right? Mm-hmm. You're the George Romero of Chile, and you're gonna, you got a whole pond to, to make your own and stuff. And as the years passed, this dude is broken out and made all this stuff. And he says, I'm glad you encouraged me uh, back then because I felt like I was like, until I came across your page, I thought I was the only guy floating out yeah. here doing this <laughs> kind of stuff. three, four thousand other people. Right. And I think that was the thing. And so what I... I think what the website did for a long period of time is just sort of bring people together that said, oh, shit, I've been dealing in this space, but I've been calling it horror and hadn't really said taken ownership like it has a distinct capacity to it in terms of the thing. So for me, Latin horror was films that were made by Latinos doing horror, but it was also what are the elements that are that are in it? So, for instance, for me, Latin horror is very much like uh, Japanese horror In, in in both films. Unlike American films, and that, and again, it's not to knock American mm. films, but the convention is there where we've even made jokes about it, where we there's there's bodies dropping, body yeah. bodies hitting the floor mm-hmm. all the time, and we're That's still American. like nothing nothing is happening. Like, That's American culture. So it's a it's a, 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 a suburban neighborhood right. where everybody is blind to the truth of the, exactly, of the world. Right. So there's this killer the, going out killing people, and nobody even notices that ne- it's happening. And negating it. So yeah. And negating because it. Because Americans are so complacent in their day to day life, they'll let anything happen around them as right. long as it doesn't affect them. Exactly. It doesn't matter, and that that's a very American. Exactly. And so you look at at, at uh, Japanese horror and Latin horror. From frame one, we believe that there's something supernatural happening. Because in their culture, ghosts so real. We period. just want to know why it's yeah. happening or what do I need to do to stop yes. it. Yes, yeah. And so from the film becomes interesting right away because not, we're not bound by that sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. we got to get past the fact that the yeah, head is no, in your lap Yeah, now. when you say, oh, I saw a ghost in, in the Japanese culture, they, they believe you immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, and? And you can move uh, on yeah. and you can move on instead of plot. Yes. Right, American film is plot. It's a fact. This happened, now this happened, that happened, that happened. Yeah. It's plot. In, in in Japanese horror films and in a lot of their narrative from general mainstream and in ours, it's character-driven. It's mm-hmm. story-based. And so you can get into deeper into what these characters do and what they've done. That's why I said some people, sometimes they seem a little a little slow. But the intelligent writing that's there... Is 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 matches what comes out of out of England because I mean I like a lot of English films because they're just so witty and so and so smartly done that you can really engage and you feel like oh two hours have passed yeah. but you get into the characters not just what's going on and um, so I think Latin horror allowed a lot of people to sort of say there's a space for us mm-hmm. right um, and it wasn't just for the person the Latino doing horror films or Latina. Right, because I mean, a lot of women have jumped into the space. A lot of them that I've written about, but it was people that can also understand what it was, and also people that just uh, like you know, you're a horror fan, whether you're Latina or not. You were all of a sudden there was another faucet open for you that you didn't realize existed, yeah. um, and you know, and, and and also helping coin the damn thing. Yeah. You know, uh, not that I can take credit for inventing Latin horror. No, no way around it. But just creating a label for it. Yeah. I um, mean, that's helped a lot of people, you know, and I I, I, uh, I think that, you know, that in itself is cool because I have friends on the West Coast and stuff that 
are avid fans of, uh, I mean, that do films, but like every hashtag of everything they post, hashtag Latin horror, mm -hmm. like they've, they've taken ownership. Like yeah. it doesn't belong to me. Yeah. The, the, the website does. It, it but belongs to the film. Right. Right. <laughs> he, own, he owns the dot com. I own the dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about proxies of fear. Uh, okay, so, um, okay, so, uh, I moved to Jersey City, and uh, at the time I, I went in there, the gentrification process has, had started, and uh, they kept labeling the city very diverse. Uh, this is the, and it is, you know, it's a, uh, I think the number one it top is. city diverse in, it is. Like, in all the United States. So, uh, and it, you go diversity, diversity, the paper, the television, and stuff like this. And, you know, I, I come from um, Jackson Heights, Queens, like that, and you know, about around 74th Street. And in 74th Street, you know, there's just a, a one block radius where you got the Indians, you got um, all of South America, you got all of Asia. <laughs> We're forced, like, to, like, to eat their food, to mm -hmm. smell their food, to, uh, to um, ride on the subway with them, uh, be neighbors with them, talk to them, you know, like this. And then I go over to uh, Jersey, and they're, you know, they're saying, oh, um, it's diverse, it's diverse, it's diverse. And then you, all you see is like a very segregated uh, yeah. environment, you know. So, so it, it was just one of those things that it, it was like uh, um, bothering me. Uh, I'm living over there and there was this lady ever since I got there found out uh, who I am in the industry so she wanted to feature my work but uh, you know I, it just I didn't want to do it you know, I wasn't that, that type of person you know to go you know this is my work uh, blah, 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 you know like this for, since I was a child to now type of thing showcase it because you know Jer um, Jersey City is a very uh, um, it's an art community is, and um, and they're very supportive in that but you know like uh, um, when I you know like I, I try to like, kind of like distance myself because I um, they had the same mentality in all arts is that you know film film you know to be is like this it's the the whole horror thing you probably know it you probably probably been told like this but you know in the whole art spectrum in the uh, totem pole film is not even in the bottom <laughs> it's in the third mm -hmm. compared to like this and in horror in our industry it's in the dirt of the dirt, <laughs> it's in the dirt, of the dirt. But meanwhile but meanwhile horror is the only one that sells yeah. consistently yeah. horror and action are the only ones that sell every single time they may not sell yeah. the greatest but they sell no matter what no matter what you could sell a two thousand dollar movie two thousand dollar horror movie you ain't selling a two thousand dollar comedy nobody's yeah. watching Nobody. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, uh, being there, you know, uh, you know, I went, you know, to support the communities, but especially the art and stuff like that. Um, but I met somebody, you know, um, in the press, and uh, he gave me the opportunity to voice myself, and I trashed the city. <laughs> I tried. No, I really trashed. And anyway, it was telling the truth. But yeah. uh, a lot of the residents that live there. Uh, the old school residents and uh, you know the ones that wanted to make some change they ain't like back me mm. it, so it, it was like one of those things that I saw I was like wow this is really, really cool it was like now I can say anything I want without being censored and you know like all the press people over there was like oh I know they're you know, kind of using me to sell more papers with the type of thing but it was just one of those things it's like oh I can 
And, you know, they'll be like, drop the pipe bomb, <laughs> which is like a wrestling term. Yeah. So um, this lady kept chasing me because more and more coverage in the press I was getting, the more and more popular it was becoming. And it was one of those things that, you know, I was going to festivals and I had the art community. I had the respect yeah. of them, which is one of the, re, you know, was, it feels good. You know, it's like, oh, they acknowledge me. You know, I'm like right there with the sculptor and the painter. <laughs> you know, that yeah. chest there. Yeah. <laughs> like this. So it, it, it felt good that they were backing me and they were seeing that film was an art. And then, um, then one day I saw an article in the paper and it was the, the um, I think it was like the second announcement that Jersey City once again is. You know, it's diversity, and the and the mayor of the town, Mayor Phillips, is his name. I just, um, he kept you know using it for his campaign to re-election and everything, and it's just like it's like you know what I have to do something. I have to do something like that, and you know, um, I I what you call uh, I didn't know what yet, and then uh, uh, I was very close to the um, curator of this art uh, art house, and it's the same person that has always tried to chased me down and I was sitting down with her in that in that and she was like uh I want you to do a show and I was like yeah you've been chasing me for such a long time but like no no do a show you know like that do something that you want to do you know it's like this uh, uh, like this and right there it just hit me it's like okay and he goes well if you're going to do a show do three of them I was like Jesus Christ is a <laughs> chance to see what the show is about like this and then basically it was just me saying you know uh I want to do a show it's gonna be, you know, revolving around Latinos, but it's a it's a show really to tell the world what how diversity is, you know, because apparently there's there's this uh, uh, rule that you know the, uh, the 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 Caucasian has to be the lead, and you you have your black Spanish sub characters, and that's apparently diversity. Yeah. You know, so it, it was, and right there that was my pitch to her, just saying that, and then it's like. And my priority uh, is, too, is the audience, too. I'm going to fill 50% of that audience with people from Greenville, which is an African-American community, the Latinos from the Heights, which is a, a Puerto Rican community, you know. And, you know, all it, all is because, you know, like this, and what draw, it drove me to throw it in that spot, in that place, is that that was a very thriving Puerto Rican community. And there's, like, it's gone you know the, the you had like a, a nice beautiful bike shops that with um with those like fancy bikes with the mm -hmm. puerto rican side you see it, it's like this gone you know and it was like oh you know there's like this this culture is depleting so it was like you know i'm gonna do the show like this and i told them i'm gonna do it that and you know uh you know how you know uh, women go you know uh, mansplaining is getting uh, white spleening. <laughs> like this, you know, they try to relate to me, and I was like, no, 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 you're not getting it. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to uh, get Latinos because we're full of diversity. Like that, we're not just, you know, uh, um, you know, we're a culture. We're not a race. So this yeah, is still like, is this uh, still ongoing? Yeah. This year? Is it well, no, it is. It's gonna, it's gonna be more. Okay. Yeah, like this. But it, you know, the whole point was, you know, uh, to bring the, uh, different colors to see what diversity is. You know, nobody's really uh, featured. Everybody got their own moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, boom, the makeup artist got its own moment. She did her talent. She got her interview. Moved to the poet. African-American. He did his poems. Boom. 
he got his own moment, you know? And it was just one of those things. This is what, you know, a diverse show is. This is how it looks. And it was like, you know, it was just to, just to prove a point of what yeah. diversity is. And, I, you know, it's like, I, I'll tell you, I was in the film festival. You know, you, you know I do this, like, Moran verses on my Facebook. Like this. Proxy and, chat. Yeah, proxy your... chat. And I yeah. do uh, of Moran verses. And I chose not to tell one like this uh, because I know I was going to be in the circuits with that, that person. Uh, my fiance brings me to a lot of comedy shows. And I know, like, if there's something different, it was something they could jump on. They'll jump on it and you know make fun of it like that. You got freaking a bunch of sensitive actors there, uh, sensitive <laughs> filmmakers and artists yeah. watching like this. And as soon as I like I, I saw that format, I was like, oh no, this is gonna be a problem. So basically, what happened was um um a, a movie started, comedy coming. He just did one joke about the movie. The next movie was it. That's what you re really went up. So uh, I did an, um, a movie that was um, um, an Asian movie with, with a centered white character, and everybody uh, <laughs> was the other, the other <laughs> like this. So um, basically, um, he got very frustrated, mad, mm. as I was sitting with him. He got very frustrated, mad at the comedian, and is what he said. He goes, you know, I made sure. I made sure that the thing was diverse. I made sure everybody like this. I had the ninety percent, which is the the, the rule, yeah. the rule for you know the grants, the rule of this, yeah. you know the girls like that. You have to have this percentage, and ninety percent. That's how he responded. Mm. And then so that, that's the problem. To hit, yeah, hit hit that quota for the sake of hitting it and yes, getting his grants. The, yeah. And there was no... I, I'm not going to say it that way. I'm going to say, like, as soon as I saw uh, I saw it, I thought about Bruce Lee and mm -hmm. Kung Fu. <laughs> and Bruce Lee's frustration of it. Mm -hmm. Like this. But it was always, you know, like, I think that in his book, in Bruce Lee's book, there's a, there's a comment that he says, I want to mess it up, like, this when I'm paraphrasing, and it was a, there's a misconception in how they... Uh, um, misconception of how... Um, you know, uh, you perceive something, and it's like uh, um, diversity is that you have that white guy as the lead, and everybody else, yeah, all like that, and that's how they see it. It's not you know, they meet a quota like this. He just, used, I felt that he used it as ninety yeah. percent because you know the comedian, he it's made a, yeah, fun okay. of. Like he, he gave goes, him a. This is what this is what we consider diversity, yes. and I hit that. Yeah, you know, like you fit. Yeah, the, I fit it's, the mold it's a, diversity. It's a, it's a mentality. Yes, it's just a mentality. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's not like he went into this. Yeah. low. I no, just no. want these people in it. No, no, no. I want to fit the mold of what that means. Yes, it's like a, 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 a state of mind. Yeah. So, I, I think we could sit here now, all day. Erase but. all that I just said because the filmmaker is <laughs> actually. <laughs> actually, where we're sitting in a void. What are you talking about? We could sit here all day and talk about this. So. Um, Thank you guys, lady, okay. for you. joining. Let me know um, where can everybody find you. <laughs> you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, easily find me at latinhorror.com. My information is up there. My cell phone is up there. My email is up there. Um, if folks want to cut to the chase, they can just email me at epagan at latinhorror. Very simply, I do respond to my email. Um, so, you know, anyone who's interested in chatting it up, they can certainly do that. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under uh, my name, Christian A. Moran, 
or you can you know uh, email me at um, cmoran29 at gmail uh, and you can also follow my recent movie Let's Play Dead Girl mm -hmm. on Facebook so um, yeah that's where you can find me okay do you have anything you'd like to if you'd where like do, where do we find a fan like you if you'd like to follow my Facebook page Inez Peak on Facebook okay and um any horror convention in the area, I'll be there. Cool. All right. We're going to do that right now. Uh, 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 making some new friends. <laughs> Thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.